0: Today's Coffee Connection is Peter Rosenbaum, Executive Director of the University Alliance Rural Office in New York. My name is Hanni Geist. Welcome to Coffee Connections. Peter and I have been colleagues for over six years now. Our paths have crossed many times over the years. In our conversation, he shares some insight into his work and the rural region he represents as the Executive Director of the University Alliance Rural. We both grew up in the GDR, so I asked Peter about his childhood memories and how he reflects on the divided and now unified Germany. And finally, Peter has a few travel suggestions, Jena, Unna, and Rügen, and also Scotland as a great place to visit in Europe. I yet have to contribute to the travel suggestions, so this week I recommend the Spreewald, around the world most notably known for its pickles, but the region itself is really worth a visit. And now, have a listen.
1: I'm Peter Rosenbaum and I'm the executive director of the University Alliance Ruhr office in New York. We are located at the German Consulate and Permanent Mission of Germany to the UN. The University Alliance Ruhr is a consortium of three universities: the University of Duisburg-Essen, TU Technical University Dortmund and the and Ruhr University Bochum. All three of these universities are located in the Ruhr Valley in the western part of Germany.
2: And we've known each other for about six and a half years now, because that's how long I've been working for DAD. And we do see each other at conferences quite a bit. I know we've done a few webinars together. I know you do the study grad fair. You organize that also in New York. Unfortunately, this year, we don't really get to see each other in person, at least not in the foreseeable future because of all the travel restrictions. But if you can just elaborate a little bit more, what, what do you actually do as the executive director?
1: We have four areas of activities. The first area is promoting collaborations between scientists. So what we do is we bring our scientists together with their American and Canadian counterparts, we host events, we initiate and strengthen research collaborations and enable our researchers to expand the network. Our second area is the promotion of student and faculty exchange. We promote, obviously, DAD programs, but we also develop our very own programs one of which is the Ruhr Fellowship Program. This is a two-month summer program for students at a couple of selected American universities, Berkeley, MIT, Harvard, Yale, Princeton, UPenn, Lehigh, and Rutgers. And we offer these students, a small group, the opportunity to go to the Ruhr area in June and July, spend one month in a summer school and one month doing an internship at a company in the Ruhr area. And I developed a similar program for students at our three universities in Germany here on the East Coast in the tri-state area. So students come over in August and September and do something quite similar. They spend two weeks in a leadership skills course and then spend six weeks in an internship at companies and international organizations in New York, Pennsylvania, and New Jersey. The fourth area, just to kind of mention, you know, all of the things we do we also try to expand our network of alumni. We organize events usually when we go to San Francisco, for example, or to Boston or to other places for conferences. We organize little alumni meetings, dinners, uh, social activities, and we organize a couple of events here in New York. And then finally, we do a lot of outreach. And um, what's special about, I think, my university alliance is that it is a regional university alliance. So we do promote research and study programs at our universities, but we also promote the Ruhr area as a place for research and work and study. So that includes organizing not just events with our researchers, but also we have a lot of politicians, we have a lot of, you know, we have mayors who come to New York, we host events for them, we organize an exhibition once in a while. So all of that is kind of what we do in addition to actually working for the universities.
2: And so um, before I forget it, since this is Coffee Connections, ideally I have this conversation in person, but unfortunately you're in New York, I'm here. But if we even go a step further and assume that we had this conversation at a German cafe, what would you have ordered?
1: I would have ordered a Kaffee Mischlack, so like a filtered coffee with some whipped cream on top.
2: are you a sweets person in terms of cakes or pies?
1: Everything, you name it. Pies, so, which, which is your
2: favorite? So, which is your favorite in Germany?
1: My favorite cake would be a very simple cake. That's a Quarkkuchen, right? I would, I would eat that with a mountain of whipped cream on top of it. <laughs> I love Quarkkuchen. I love Frankfurter Kranz, which is obviously bad for your hips, but it's a beautiful cake with buttercream. Is butter there cream. any kind of
2: cake that's good for your hips?
1: <laughs> Maybe there are some, some low-count cake. I don't know. <laughs> but then they are not
2: good. Then they are
1: not good. <laughs> then they are not good. <laughs>
2: Now talking about the Ruhr area, what can you tell me about the area? And for someone who's not familiar, what cities are there, and what does it stand for? Maybe what's special about the Ruhr area as opposed to other parts of Germany?
1: The Ruhr area is Europe's third largest city, if you wish. It is the third largest metropolitan area in Europe with 5.1 million inhabitants. The Ruhr area has about 50, 51 municipalities, big cities like Dortmund and Essen, and smaller cities such as Unna. It's named after the river Ruhr, thus Ruhr area, or you know, my university alliance is called Ruhr, University Alliance Ruhr. What is really special about the Ruhr area is that it used to be kind of the blue-collar heartland of Germany and Europe, right? It used to be a center of coal and steel production. And since the 1970s has transitioned into what is nowadays a hotspot for science and innovation and knowledge-based industries. So the Ruhr area, in other words, is everywhere. That's what I try to explain to my folks here in America to students, researchers, to the interested public, the war area is what you see in Pittsburgh, what you see in Detroit and other parts of the country. It's always different. There's always a slightly different regional local context, but it is all about kind of, you know, the war area is all about a region that tried to stake out a future as a post-industrial region. So what comes when steel and coal are gone? And the Ruhr area has really found very interesting answers to that. And the three universities that we represent are really very much the engines behind these transformations and changes in the Ruhr area. Precisely because it used to be a center of coal mining and steel manufacturing, it is, the Ruhr area is one of Germany's, most multi-ethnic regions. There are folks from, I think, about more than 150 nations who found their permanent home in one of the cities and towns in the Ruhrgebiet. And this translates into a culture of, you know, that kind of reminds me of New York a little bit. It's when I traveled to the war area the first time, I looked at the people and I thought, it's a tiny bit like New York. They come from all over the place. They have Turkish last names, Polish last names. So it is, you know, when you meet folks from the Ruhrgebi, they're very good communicators. They're open. They're straightforward. They're down to earth. They have a great sense of humor. They really, I feel, welcome people from other parts of the world. So there is this inherent openness to kumpelkultur, right? This culture of kind of, you know, getting along with each other precisely because they used to do that in the coal mines. And that is something that exists to this day. And that's what I find very pleasant and nice about the people in the war area. And it's also what makes it easier for some of our students who might never have heard of Bochum or Dortmund, but to really find a campus that is very inclusive. Our universities are very young universities. So there are 50, 55 years old. And they had one of the very first diversity programs in Germany, precisely because there were so many first-generation students in the Ruhr area. There used to be nothing beforehand. No.
2: When you say diversity programs, what does that actually mean?
1: That means to, you know, they have programs such as uh, talent scout programs, really programs to reach out to high schools and encourage students to study at a university, encourage female students to maybe study engineering. Uh, So, you know, what seems like pretty straightforward and kind of normal nowadays, I think, was kind of innovative back then, like in the late 60s, early 70s, when they started implementing these programs. And they also created a lot of clubs and institutions on campus to enable students to meet and do cultural activities together. I think our universities are very kind of We're very much at the forefront of being inclusive universities and not just as far as folks from other nations are concerned or first generation students but also LGBT students, etc.
2: Now the big question is: are you from the Ruha area?
1: Not at all. I am actually (laughs) from (laughs) I am from well, kind of quite the opposite. I mean I'm Mm -hmm. from Jena in the eastern part of Thuringia and the former east of Germany. And It's a city that, unlike other places in East Germany, has really made it after the fall of the wall in 1989, 1999. It's very interesting. It's, you know, when you hear of the neue Bundesländer, you know, the five federal states in uh, Germany, you hear of AFD, right-wing extremists. But there's only part of the picture. When you look at places like Jena, Erfurt, you see very successful cities, and uh, Jena has a has a great university, actually, a very old university. It was founded in, I think, in 1580 or so. And it's a very successful city. Uh, they have great industry there. size, shots, beautifully located. So I'm from Jena originally, and then I grew up in East Germany. Uh, I was 20 when the wall fell. So I um, had Now you're Now you're
2: revealing your age
1: I'm revealing my age. I have no problem (laughs) with that. And I went to school in East Germany, and then I did my compulsory military service in the National People's Army, as it was called, the NVR, the NVA. And then when I was done with that, the wall fell. And I thought, wow, what am I going to do now? And I did my BA at the University of Leipzig, and afterwards immediately went to England to learn proper English. I went to a private school in Bath, England, and then move. I actually
2: went there too. I went there. That was my first abroad experience and English summer program for three weeks. I went to Bath. Yeah, it's a beautiful city.
1: It's a beautiful city. It's a great program. And afterwards, I thought, you know what, I just want to explore the world. And uh, there was an exchange program that Leipzig had with the University of Georgia and Emory. So I went to Georgia, did my first graduate degree there in linguistics, and then stayed on and moved uh, to New York to do my second graduate degree. That's how I um, landed in New York in the mid-90s.
2: So I have to, because I'm I'm from the the former East as well. I grew up in East Berlin. I was a tad bit younger. I was seven when the wall came down. So I don't really remember anything i just remember the stories and just my family living through the former east years and of course like we had things that they bought so i was very much involved in that culture but i didn't i don't really really remember anything i i get asked every single time so i'm from germany so where are you from like the former east or former west i assume you also get that question for you who actually went to school during that time, what is your perspective on that, and especially now living in the United States and going back to United Germany?
1: It's very interesting. It's very complex. I feel that you know. Last year we had a big anniversary, right? The 30th anniversary of the fall of the wall, and um, we organized an event with a historian from the University of Bochum, and on a book that he wrote on. The Treuhand. The Treuhand was an organization agency that helped to privatize the East German economy in the early 1990s. And they existed for like three, four years and really, you know, privatized, sold a huge percentage, I want to say 80, 90% of uh, East German factories, companies to interested buyers. And so we had a lot of conversations about the process of privatization in East Germany and while some say it's a success story and it certainly is to certain extent, others say East Germans should have been given the opportunity to purchase stakes in these companies to really make them partners in these huge transformation processes. What I always think when I think back is a that I was very lucky because of my age and the time when the wall fell. I just started studying so I had my whole career in front of me, folks who were people who were maybe 10 years older had to struggle quite a bit. A lot of them lost their jobs. A lot of them really had to go back to the university, do courses and uh, kind of prepare for alternative careers. And I think I had it easy. You always have to kind of look at, I think, you you know, the backgrounds of people, uh, generations. It's a I think a question of like generations who are the folks you talk to, how old are they, where were they, Where did they live? When I think back, what do i what do I think or how mm-hmm. do I perceive Germany nowadays? on the one hand, I feel that when I go back to my hometown Jena, for example i 'm so happy and proud to see Jena flourish to see Jena and the young city that it is nowadays with all of these opportunities that it offers to people who live in Jena on the other hand i also think back and you know when you think back of where you're from you don't always necessarily think back of the, you know you don't think about the political system necessarily but you think about how you were raised you think of what the Germans would call heimat nature culture mm-hmm. friends you don't necessarily think of and oppressive dictatorship that East Germany arguably was. Of course, we do when when I think back, like I do remember my time that I had to spend in the free German youth that organization, you know, the way in which Our after-school hours were pretty much organized and taken up by, you know, uh, doing these activities uh, for the free German youth and other organizations. uh, We were pretty much, you know, uh, forced forced to join these organizations if we wanted to study later on in life. So that is certainly something I remember. But I also remember it with, you know, decades in between now with a lot of, you know, I have very fond memories as well. And that's not because I suffer from nostalgia, nostalgia but mm-hmm. because it's, you know, it's your, it's your childhood, and you remember certain things that you experienced, like, for example, the first car we had, that Trabant car, right, that we had to wait for, for 10 years.
2: Yeah, me uh, too.
1: I have very fond memories of it, and, uh, you know, I mean, we always manage to squeeze into that little car and drive all the way up to the baltic sea to our vacation
2: place and it and it and it was so loud we tried was, to listen to some music and you had to crank it up all the way because it was just so ridiculously loud
1: absolutely absolutely <laughs> but uh so you know it's a mixture of fond memories but also you know kind of i would say a I have a tiny bit of a mixed perspective on things because I also see how, you know, um, in certain states, including Thuringia, Saxony, you do have economically depressed regions. You do have regions where a lot of the talented men and women uh, move, had moved to the West. So you have regions with very little left institutions and people who would guarantee certain values that we stand for, certain values that democracy stands for. And so you do have the folks on the fringes more prominent than anywhere else. So I think it's both, you know, the weak economy in certain parts of the East, but also, you know, the very fact that a lot of uh, folks who wanted to have a career moved to the West. So you no longer have people who would be guarantors of, you know, certain democratic values that we hold dear.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, my mom was 40, actually, when the wall fell, and she she did lose her job. And whenever I spoke to students, and when I taught German, it, most of the students, they believed, oh, everything was great, and everyone was happy, but it's just way more complex than that. People lost their jobs, like Maybe you were able to travel, but if you lost your job, you didn't have money to travel. So I always find it interesting and, and talking about that. And one of my goals as a teacher was to really make students think. also in Berlin specifically, I remember a lot of the city, a lot of the street names got changed. So um, I mean, that has a huge impact on your life, right? Your zip code, the street name you grew up in and the products you bought. And when all of a sudden that's gone, really a part of your, your sense of self and memories and culture is just ripped away from you. So really the fall of the wall and what happened afterwards, is just a lot more complex than the fall of the wall and everything is great and everyone is happy.
1: You're absolutely right. I mean, there is a way in which many of the public discourses about East Germany are all about failed state, right? A failed state. So you kind of identify yourself a little bit as the loser of history. Whereas in fact, you know, years later, I myself at least discovered all of these films, literature, books that i had never really read or seen while you know I grew up in East Germany and I thought, wow, this is a really rich and complex culture that you Do know Do you have an example for to that? Be... Or examples? Well, when I look at yeah, when I look at all of these old Defa films, Ishwan Neunsen, mm. I was 19, or you know, other films that I'd never had the chance to see partly or mostly because they were, you know, not shown in East Germany. They were kind of illegal. But when I see them now, I thought, wow, this is you know, interesting what this country did produce, you know, in, in terms of literature, film, art, look at the Leipzig school. So, I mean, again, for me, this is not about being, you know, retroactively kind of proud of East Germany, I don't have nostalgia, but there is a way in which I see the country where I grew up a little bit differently nowadays, precisely because, You know, time creates a certain distance that allows you to revisit certain, you know, a certain culture, certain movements in culture with a slightly different eye. The way we look at socialist realism nowadays is probably a little bit different than when we looked at it like 20 years ago or 30 years ago, right after the fall of the wall. So I find this process is very interesting.
2: What is your perspective now living in the United States and having this perspective of Germany, a united Germany, but also a divided Germany?
1: It's interesting you should ask this because the first or the first impression I had when I moved to Georgia was a little bit like this is like East Germany. Um, (laughs) A lot of things reminded me of East Germany the potholes in the streets you know you had to stand in line for certain things like at restaurants for example right I mean small little things reminded me of East Germany but also I have to say the very kind of direct way of you know in which people communicated or the friendly way in which people communicated I thought When I grew up in East Germany, that there was a very kind of, precisely because we didn't have telephones, we just went to each other's apartments and talked and chatted, And there was a very different culture, I think, of communicating. And I found some of that in a slightly different form here in the States that I found people very easy to access, to talk to, whether or not it was just superficial or not. I didn't really care about that. And I think it was beautiful, this culture of small talk that's helped me to socialize here in the United States. That I thought was different, but also somewhat similar to what I had grown up with in East Germany. And then what I also observe is when I say that the States although a little, you know, um, similar to East um, Germany, are those, you know, regions, the economically depressed regions that we just talked about, you do certainly mm-hmm. find similarities between, let's say, the AFD voter and folks who turn to right-wing extremist groups here in the U.S., right? Um, And oftentimes they do, and that's not the only explanation, but oftentimes they do live in economically uh, depressed areas. And those are the values that they turn to, right? Those are the people they turn to. So that reminds me of Germany a little bit as well.
2: You did attend university in Germany and the United States. Now you also have that additional layer in working professionally, representing German universities. What are the similarities and maybe also the differences in your experience attending a university in Germany and then in the United States?
1: I think one of the differences is that you do get much more individual attention here in the United States in certain programs. You know, the teacher-student ratio is oftentimes much better than the one you get at a German university. I do, I've always liked the idea of the liberal arts college. I myself taught at a private liberal arts college in Connecticut for three and a half years, and I very much like the idea of studying somewhat freely without necessarily thinking of what you want to do in life later on, but rather learn something about the culture you were born into. It's something I really like. I like the idea behind the college, the American Liberal Arts College. What is probably... Similar is that you get an internationally respected degree, be it at a German university, be it at a university here in the States. You know, German universities, we don't necessarily have the Ivy Leagues, but we do have universities that are very strong in certain research areas, stronger than others. Whereas here you have the Ivy League systems It kind of depends a little bit more on, you know, the reputation that these universities created for themselves. You don't necessarily have those you know, differences in Germany, but you do have universities that are particularly strong in certain areas more so than in others.
2: Hmm. How long have you been living in New York now? For quite a while, huh?
1: It's been 25 years almost, a hmm. quarter of a century.
2: <laughs> so, looking at your LinkedIn and your experience, really the connection to germany is always there either as an instructor or working for the Goethe institute and now for the university Ruhr alliance i was wondering because you do live here so obviously you you're comfortable here and this is this is your home now but i'm curious there is always this German connection, and that does seem very important to you as well as, um, as it does for me, because I can't really imagine doing something that doesn't have to do with Germany. As much as I love where I am now, I, I really value that connection to Germany communicating with Germans here in the U.S., but also, of course, in Germany. Is that, is that somewhat similar um, in, in your case?
1: Absolutely, honey. I mean, we do, I have to say, keep a place in Berlin. So we spend quite a bit of time in Berlin over New Year's usually and two, three weeks in the summer. So it's important for me to, you know, connect with friends and be in Berlin, be in Vienna. We travel to Rügen quite a bit. So it's you know, but kind of the physical presence, but also friends, you know, the friends you made years ago, kind of stay friends, they stay with you. And it's kind of one of the advantages I have to say of living in New York, you see your friends, family members, sometimes more often than you would if you had stayed in Germany. (laughs) So this is really, it's true. I mean, that's one of the experiences we all make here in New York, uh, that people tend to travel to, or at least through New York, and you get to see them. So that's the beauty of living here, in addition to many other advantages. And then I also, you know, we, for me, though, I have to say, it's not just Germany, it is an important part of my identity. But if you are from Germany, and you live in the States, and then you go back to Germany, you also feel that you want to explore more of Europe. And I'm still Mm. in that process. You have family in Germany, relatives, your mom, your dad, you want to see them, and you really have to carve out like you know you have to find a week or two that you know to go somewhere else and that's what we that's what my partner Scott and I try to do to really spend a week and go hike in Scotland or go to Prague or go to Sweden just to familiarize ourselves a little bit more with Europe what's going on in Europe right now we haven't you know seen a lot of Europe yet so um, that's what I what I try to do. So for me, it's America and uh, Germany, but also I'm 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 still exploring Europe.
0: <laughs>
2: mm. What is your favorite place so far, or one of the favorite places you travel to in Europe?
1: So far, it's really Scotland. I think I, uh, you know, when I after I watched one of the last James Bond films, <laughs> uh, I, I think it was Skyfall. I thought, mm. you know, I, I I really want to go where. Daniel Gregg standing right now. <laughs> Scottish <laughs> Highlands, and that's exactly what we did. We
2: Oh, is it, that the one where where they go to that house and stay exactly, there? And then yes. Uh, yeah. yeah, I remember that scene, eight, and I had eight. exactly the same thought. It's like, oh, it's so nice and green there.
1: Honey, I can only encourage you to, to, to do it. <laughs> I don't think we were exactly there, but we were in the Scottish Highlands, and mm-hmm. we took a tour, and like a hiking tour, and spent the whole week, hiking through the highlands, and it was just one of the most beautiful weeks ever. Only two days of rain out of seven, so that's good for Scotland, and it was absolutely (laughs) fabulous summer.
2: You did mention other cities, and one of the questions that I like to ask to also highlight other regions in Germany is what lesser-known places you can recommend and why. You did mention Rügen at some point, and maybe you can talk about that a little bit more, maybe other places that you recommend people visit.
1: are quite a few places I would recommend. I mean, I talked about Jena, my hometown. Jena is a fantastic city. It's really beautiful in Thuringia and Jena is one of the cities that actually has seven wonders right jena has seven wonders like the seven wonders of the world so that's something to check out while in jena and those seven wonders include a bridge the fox tower a mountain a seven-headed dragon something at the town hall i'm not going to give away what these wonders oh are that sounds cool you have to Se- you seven, have to figure it out yourself headed
2: dragon
1: here is a seven-headed dragon with four legs and two arms and four tails and it was you know huh. <laughs> likely made for fun by students in Jena, I think, during the early 17th century. (laughs) But that's one of the seven wonders of Jena. So I would encourage everyone to go to Jena and find Hmm. out what wonders are and where they are. Almost all of them still exist, with the exception of one. I would also recommend Una in the Ruhr area. And it's really interesting. I have a friend and colleague of mine at the Goethe-Institut Institute is from Una. And she always said, Peter, you got to go to UNA. And I was like, why, Riga, should I go to UNA? <laughs> That's a small place. And she said, they have a beautiful center of light art there. And I said, okay, I will check it out. And sure enough, the first time I was in the war area, I ended up in UNA. And it indeed is one of the most beautiful museums for light art that I've ever seen. I think it's called the Center for International Light Art. It's absolutely beautiful. You have to check it out. It's a jewel. And... Dan Flavin, Terrell, many other very very famous american and also european national artists have exhibited or exhibit their work there. So it's it's a beauty. I do love Rügen quite a lot. We have an aunt whom we strategically placed on the island of Rügen. So <laughs> <laughs> this is always our to go place when we want to go to the beach of the Baltic Sea. It's absolutely beautiful. But since we spend a lot of time in Berlin, we oftentimes really get on our bikes take the bike on the s-bahn or the regional train and go out to any one of the little places towns outside of berlin and just do a bike tour and you will most likely come across surprises, interesting spots, beautiful nature. It's, you know, absolutely wonderful just outside of Berlin, the lakes, the lake region in Mecklenburg. You know, there are some beautiful spots that you, that you can explore. I like that, that too. Just, you know, mm-hmm. one hour north of Berlin and um, you go to places such as Neuruppin, which is at the Fontana uh, town, right? Fontana, famous German writer was born in the They have a beautiful museum, Fontana museum, great cafes and pubs and beer gardens, and um, you can go canoeing. It's absolutely gorgeous.
2: Yeah, for for me personally, I just uh, remembered something that no one mentioned yet, but maybe it's time for me to share that now, Spreewald. The yes. Spreewald is, is really absolutely beautiful, and it's just a really great area that I don't think people would associate with Germany.
1: You're right. I've never actually been to the Spreewald. I'm ashamed to say I, uh, I only know the Spreewalder Gurken, but who doesn't? But I should definitely <laughs> check it out next time I'm there. Absolutely. <laughs>
2: How would one get in touch with you if uh, someone had more questions?
1: Yes, you can write to me. My email address is peter.rosenbaum, R-O-S-E-N-B-A-U-M, at U-A-R-U-H-R dot O-R-G.
0: This was my Coffee Connection with Peter Rosenbaum. You can find more about the University Alliance Rural on their website. The link and Peter's contact information is in the show notes. All content is created and edited by me, Honey Geist. If you would like to get in touch, send an email to podcast at Stay safe, healthy, and well. Thanks for listening. I'll catch you at the next Coffee Break.